This is the Six Man Show, an Orlando Magic podcast, with your hosts Luke Sylvia and Jonathan Osborne, covering all things Magic basketball. By fans, for fans, go Magic! What's going on, Orlando Magic fans? You guys are back with the Six Man Show. It is June fourteenth, two thousand twenty-one. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Luke Sylvia. Luke, what's going on, man? Dude, I mean, we're, what, 13 days away from uh, lottery night, and I'm officially, offic- I've been nervous for months, I'm not going to lie to you, but, like, I'm I'm officially getting there to where I'm, like, I'm actually able to count down the days and it doesn't feel forever away. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm pretty nervous at this point. We're also joined by a very special guest. Uh, Dan Savage, director of digital news, also writes, covers the Orlando Magic and Magic Gaming. Dan, how are you and are you getting nervous? <laughs> you know, you feel as good as you possibly could in this scenario because, you know, based off the new rules, you have good a chance as anybody to get the number one overall pick in the NBA draft lottery. So good position for the Magic, uh, you know, as they headed down the final stretch of the season. You don't want to lose, but at the same time, uh, you know, at this point in the year, there are certain benefits from that and the draft lottery position can work out that way. So uh, it's an interesting time, you know, where I'm catching up, trying to learn about all these draft prospects. So I look at it as just more exciting than anything, uh, more so than nervous is just like finding out where you're going to fall and then what prospects are kind of rumored to be around in that area and then you know the other interesting aspect to this year is will the bulls pick convey this season or will it roll over to a following one so uh just like anybody else playing the the draft lottery roulette daily and seeing how things fall and and kind of you know keeping up with what prospects are talked about in in, in certain areas i think at this point and luke i don't know about you but i'm starting like a sense of dread is starting to sink in as we start to get closer because, yeah, you have the 52% chance of ending up in the top four, 14% chance of ending up number one overall, but you also have a 48% chance of falling out of the top four and, you know, running these tankathon simulations over and over again, <laughs> you have a pretty good chance of dropping, you know, five, six, like even to, you know, to seven. So Luke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't dreading. I, <laughs> uh, I'm definitely, I'm dreading it, right? I mean, we we rooted all season, not all season, but you know, once deadline happened, people started to shift their focus toward lottery night. And, you know, you you lose all these games and you want to be happy about it, but also that's just like a whole other conflict of interest. Like we hate it. Yeah, you feel dirty. You don't want to cheer for a loss. Um, and then you do all that and they tell you, oh, by the way, you did all that. Congratulations. You've got a coin flips chance, a little bit better to land in the top four. So it's just, I don't know. I think it was after kind of um, the nail-biting final night of the NBA season where you're watching uh, Pokachevsky uh, hit those big shots down the stretch. And you're just like, right. you know, you root for all this. And then at the end of it, they go, like you you kind of reality sets in. It's like, we have a, a decent chance, but we have also a decent chance. We don't even get the top four. I, I don't know. It's it, It's a lot of emotions that I've dealt with, I think, these past few months. Well, we're going to have plenty of time in the coming weeks to continue to kind of flesh this out. And then after lottery night, we'll kind of know where we stand and we'll start looking more at some of these uh, draft prospects here. But 
Uh, we brought Dan on. We specifically, you know, want to want to talk to Dan, just learn more about, you know, your background and you know, your time with the Magic. I know you've been with the Magic since January of 2009. So you kind of joined like right at the perfect time back yeah. there. So if you could just tell us a little bit about that process and that season and then just kind of your your experience kind of you know moving backwards. Yeah, so starting off like from about 2006 to, you know, end of 2008, 2009, I was writing for NBA.com, covering the league, uh, you know, for the association. And it was, I tell you, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there were some great people there. And it's just funny, like when your desk right across from you are some of the all-time greats. So, you know, Patrick Ewing would be in there for Part of the time before he jumped on and, and went to coach uh be an assistant coach with the magic and you know you'd see guys like that coming through uh on a daily basis you know one draft lottery uh chris paul was in the office he sat down and was looking you know wanted to learn about how we updated nba.com and stuff like that so just like a lot of crazy things it was a very like this is sports center type commercial uh, where there are just interesting people coming in and out, as well as, you know, the people who covered the league, uh, the way the office was set up, it was almost like a giant sports bar. And so the debates that would happen there, like at a heated level, were just, you know, really interesting. So uh, when I came to the Magic at that time, I was already, you know, helping them a, a little bit and then, you know, got the job offer and decided to join uh, obviously at a, at a very exciting time. Uh, I may have never even left the league if they weren't planning to transition their offices from New Jersey, New York, where I'm from, uh, from a digital perspective to Turner and going to Atlanta. So it was, a, it was one of those things where I would have already had to move anyway. So I started looking at the team level. And one of the interesting things about the Magic at that time is you're looking at it and you're like, okay, Dwight Howard, Rashard Lewis, Hito Turkoglu, Jameer Nelson, like this team's stacked, you know. I was already covering them at a league level and I'm they're building something special there. So uh, when the opportunity arose, uh, I jumped on it and, you know, exciting first couple of weeks and then Jameer Nelson goes down uh, for, you know, what looked like a complete season-ending injury at the time. And you're like, okay, well, there go the, ch the chances for this year to, to make a finals run, perhaps. But, you know, it, it bodes well for next season. And then that season was just like one of those things where it's like, are they even going to get out of the first round with Philadelphia there? And, you know, Hito Turkoglu hits that shot and then confidence builds. They beat Philadelphia, game seven in Boston, you know, going and then just rolling through LeBron. Like it, it was something else to, to be there and then that be your first season. And then just as equally as special going in the following season and knowing that year that they're going to be a force uh, was just a lot of fun. So before we started recording, I mentioned there was a, a cool little tidbit that I noticed on your resume. So going back before you were writing for the NBA, uh, you were a sports production assistant for CBS. Yep. Correct. And before that, you were a sports reporter for the Clifton Journal. Yes. I was born in Hackensack, New Jersey. The first home that I ever lived in was in Clifton. So I wanted to ask you most of my, well, not most of my family. I just only have really a few family members up there now. Uh, but most of my, well, I keep saying most of, cause it used to be most of, but my brother still lives in Northern Jersey. He lives in Fairlawn and most of my family's from Bergenfield, the Dumont area. Yep. Are you familiar with that area at all? Yeah, no. Uh, so like, especially from the high school sports scene. So not only did I cover, you know, Clifton sports and, and some of the, you know, sports teams there, 
especially in the summer, there were the Clifton, I believe, Hawks baseball team that was based out of there that I was covering. But uh, I would just go to a lot of, I'm a basketball junkie. So I would go to, you know, high school basketball games, you know, up and down uh, New Jersey, watching them go to a lot of high school football games. So uh, I've been up and down all over Jersey, especially the non-existent central New Jersey. Only people who live in central Jersey call it that. Right. Like cent- central Jersey to North Jersey, uh, mainly. I-, I didn't go to South Jersey as much to cover a lot of the teams, but in that area, I- I've-, I've watched a lot of high school football, high school basketball, and-, and covered a lot of the teams throughout there. That's awesome. Small world. When I saw that, I was like, man, I got to bring this up. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was a fun spot. Uh, there's a lot of good food right around there. Yes. So, uh, Have you ever been to White Mana? I have not. The little but, burger uh, spot. It's been on. Uh, what's you know, show? actually, I have. I take that back. The sliders. I was once. So a guy I worked with actually at the NBA took me there <laughs> before work one day. We met up and, and went there. So it's funny now that you said that. It took me a second. But yes, I have so been. There. Luke has no idea what we're talking about. So white mana, Luke, is this little burger slider joint in Hackensack, like Crystals? Jersey. It's- Sort of like a crystals, but you'd be disrespectful. disrespectful? Okay, I figured. So this show has been on um, <laughs> diners, dive-ins, and dr- like diners, right. dive-ins, and dives. You know, Guy Fieri. But you walk in, and it's like no bigger than like a normal kitchen. Mm. Like, and it's it's got like a, a U-shaped wraparound bar. Uh, the woman there, you tell you just shout your order out whenever she remembers everything. Doesn't write anything down. Like this one's going to be plain. This one's going to be with onions and ketchup and pickles. This one's going to be with cheese. It's honestly insane if you guys. Yeah, yeah crystals. Was a, crystals a lot like that, you know. I, I think. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We could sit here and talk about there in the day. parking lot right after. So oh my of, gosh! Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. So but shout yeah, out to Mark Wildman uh, if he's listening because he's going <laughs> to took <you> there. <laughs> I highly doubt it. I highly doubt he's listening. But if he is, this one's for you, buddy. So Dan, um, thank you for for sharing your background. We wanted to talk a little bit about. This season, obviously, this past year with COVID and everything like that, it's just changed yeah, the went entire on. world. <laughs> nothing went on at all. Just a normal year. Uh, but what would you say was the most unexpected challenge that you faced this season? I'm sure going into the season, you felt things were going to be different. But what was like the most unexpected thing that you guys faced? Yeah, the COVID protocols are the are the tough aspect because they're sort of dictated by the league. You know, it's not like a necessarily like a team by team basis. So you know, like everybody, you're following what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, my wife's in medical research and she's, you know, studies groundbreaking drugs. So like I'm listening to calls with her trying to figure out what's going on at, at that level. Hopefully, you know, giving me a, a heads up what. So like, you know, when the season started, you're thinking, okay, like maybe a vaccine will happen and maybe like the second half of the season will be normal. You know, you, there's all these uh, things going through your head. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, for the regular season in the NBA, it ended up being, you know, what what the rules were primarily at the start ended, ended up being the same thing the whole way. So I would say that the toughest challenge is, you know, for me, normally I'm traveling on the team plane, I'm going on the road with the team and, you know, have a very, you know, in some practices, you know, watching all this stuff and it's just like, have such a good feel. So when I'm doing stuff like this, I have all these interesting, you know, tidbits I could bring up and interesting stories about guys. Uh, but this season, you know, I was just a box on a zoom call. Like I am right now for a lot of these guys. 
So I haven't, you know, stood next to some of the new players or, you know, even some of the rookies uh, on this team yet and even gotten like, you know, a good size up. Like how tall is this guy next to me? How big is he? You know, a feel for all that stuff. So just being at such a distance was a challenge because used to being able to create content based off being so close. You know, a lot of the story ideas I come up with. Um, or sometimes the best ones are just from something you overhear, you know, in a conversation or you're talking to a guy, uh, maybe on a bus or something like that. And something comes up and you're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, maybe you have an earlier feel that Chumo Kiki's dropping a song or something like that because he's listening to it or talking about it. So those are the things that were, uh, you know, a bit of a different challenge and adjusting to that and trying to create interesting content from a written perspective based off that now with that being said you know from like a team perspective we had somebody documenting as you may have watched some of the you know video all accesses that were all, all along the way but just for me personally not being there you know every step of the way was a, a lot different than what i'm used to and they continue those all access videos next yeah. season because I, I i haven't missed a single one there hasn't been a new one in a few weeks since the season ended but those, those yeah. are awesome. And, and shout out to our production, dude, yes. Jason Dewberry. He hates any attention, but like he had to travel all the time in the bubble, all that stuff, you know, uh, so great work by, by him and <laughs> the countless hours he put into to getting a lot of that stuff. I uh, I wanted to ask you kind of, I, I figured you might go that route in terms of, you know, answering that question about, you know, just not being able to be around the players is a lot different. And, and I was, kind of I had the opportunity to be around the team when uh when John Denton was there um and got to kind of follow him around and shadow him and um learn from him which was incredible but you know there's those things in the locker room that you can't replace like the, those those interactions you have that really like automatically um can form a bond where you can't get that in a zoom call um I I have a story with Kyle O'Quinn that was hilarious when I was introduced to him. I have a story about Victor Oladipo dancing around the locker room after a game. Like there's just a lot of personality stories you get from that environment. Um, and I know that was kind of your answer for, you know, what has been, uh, what, what's been so different. Um, do you think that, you know, how, just how much do you think that took away from building a rapport with those guys? Because it, it's just not as, it's not the same, you know, even if it was me and you in a, in a room right now, Dan, with Jonathan recording the episode, I'm sure it would feel different. Maybe the energy would be different. What, what's that like? And, and what do you lose not being able to, you know, be up close and personal and build rapport? Uh, it's it's huge. Uh, I can't even put a, a value on it, and especially when you talk about guys like Vic and Kyle, who are just such huge personalities. We did the uh, I'm blanking on it, but it was a rookie show with them, a video of the year that you know Kyle came out with uh, Andrew Nicholson and Mo Harkless and Daquan Jones, and so much of that. Rise of a Rookie uh, was the title that I was looking for. And where we went to, you know, target with them, just doing stuff like when they had to pick up stuff for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rookie, uh, you know, when they're like the veterans are telling the rookies what to get and stuff like that back then. So those things were, were fun and you just miss out on all those interesting tidbits and you try to make up with it as much as you can by talking to people who are around uh, the team and trying to get a feel that way. Uh, scouring their social media to see what they're into and try to find some interesting stories that way. So it's just, it's just, you have to work a lot harder 
And then at the same level, you know, try to build up a level of trust that, you know, a player may have for you if you are around and they see you all the time versus just being a box uh, on a Zoom call. It's, it's a big challenge uh, and the value is just, you know, almost impossible to, to estimate. Okay, let's take a quick break. Support for the Six Man Show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineer tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 6 at manscaped.com. Again, that's code 6, S-I-X-T-H, at manscaped.com. And imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I am blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. I remember one time uh, in high school, I had a really bad horror story uh, while trimming my balls and just never felt the confidence to do that again. But with the Lawnmower 4.0, and Manscaped, they've helped boost my confidence, and I'm now able to do that again. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredible, comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim length through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And did we mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice, smooth boys. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 6 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with code 6 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code 6. That's S-I-X-T-H. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, we're back with Dan Savage. Now, Dan, obviously some groundbreaking news broke uh, this past weekend as I'm out here throwing mulch around my yard and just getting all kinds of sweaty and dirty and everything like that. I get a phone call from one of my buddies who loves to troll me, you know, when it pertains to the magic. He's like, bro, Clifford. Like, I'm like, what are you talking? I thought the worst immediately. I was like, did, he, did something happen to him? Is he okay? He's like, he's leaving. I said, wow. So... Steve Clifford leaving the magic. I wanted to ask you, you know, since the trade deadline, and I know you, you know, you're not around the team in the same capacity that you normally would be, but after those trades were made, was there any part of you that thought this might be a possibility for Clifford leaving? Uh, sure. I mean, you, you know, you look at it, he's approaching the, the final year of his deal, you know, after this. Um, so there would be, you know, some, perhaps some contract talk or, or whatever in the off season, and that could always result and departure or, you know, from the standpoint of it, this is not necessarily, you know, what, 
what he signed up for when he took the job. You know, you're look, he, he looked at that, that team and he very distinctly believed that he could take this, that team he inherited his first year with the Magic to the playoffs. That was something he thought was very attainable. And at the start of this season, prior to the Markel Fultz injury, he looked at this roster and, and honestly believed that it could potentially, if things fell right, host a, a first round playoff series. He thought that was a, a possibility. And when you really look at the way the East fell this season, I don't think he's off. Is there any reason with Markel Fultz and, and the players that they had on this on this team that they couldn't have been the New York Knicks at, at that level of success? I, I don't think so. And especially with the level of continuity this roster had, it would have been hugely advantageous in a season that didn't have practices, you know, so many walkthroughs were in a ballroom. So when you think about it from that perspective, uh, you know, you always knew that there's a possibility that timelines might not mesh, but did I think that that was going to happen? No, <laughs> you know, I was as, you know, as surprised as, as anybody else, but you know, when you really look back at it, you're like, okay, this makes sense. You know, um, the timelines didn't quite, quite align. And the thing you always have to credit about Steve Clifford is just his honesty. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no sugarcoating from Cliff in a, in a post-game press conference. I could tell you that uh, from experience because he will not do it. <laughs> you ask that type of question, he might walk off on you. So uh, what I respect about him is, he, he saw what he wanted from his future. You know, he looked at what the team was looking to do over these next few years, and they just didn't align. And, you know, with that being said, I look at this magic opportunity that's created, and I think it's a very exciting one, especially if things fall right on draft lottery night. So, um, unfortunately, things didn't work out, but the good thing about Cliff is he was honest. They're up front. They came to a very amicable uh, thing, as you could tell from, you know, Jeff Weltman's uh, post presser uh, thinks nothing highly of Cliff. Cliff, great with the organization. So it's just one of those things where, you know, it's best in the best case to everybody. And, you know, whatever, you know, for me personally, because I worked with Cliff both as an assistant and as a head coach, I'll miss him a ton. Um, but, you know, with that being said, it, it makes a lot of sense. And that's one thing, Dan, you know, this happens, right? The, the immediate response after you know your initial reaction to oh i can't believe that happened i i i maybe should have seen the writing on the wall but i can't i still can't believe it happened it's one of those things like you don't believe it's going to happen until it happens um and that's where you know i think jonathan and i were at but but the the knee-jerk reaction after that is okay what's next who's next yeah and i feel like there's been no time spent reflecting on what cliff did for the organization yeah. i mean you looked at what he did when he came in his first year taking the team to the playoffs with virtually the same roster as the year before except you know team stayed healthy um goes to the playoffs and the magic all of a sudden are in the playoffs you know for the first time in a long time so i remember just having an admiration for cliff saying he should be in coach of the year running like he the doing what he did um was was incredible what do you think is is the biggest thing that Cliff did that will leave an imprint on the team for years to come, whether it's with the players or the organization? I think the special thing that Cliff had was he was with the organization when they were in the finals, when they were in the Eastern Conference finals. And he saw what the city could be. He saw what the organization could be. He saw the support, you know, that, the, that this team has from ownership when things are, you know, and he, he knew what this could be. 
Um, so he believed that, you know, the city of Orlando could be a special place to rally behind a team. And, you know, we got to see that come to fruition that first year uh, against the Toronto Raptors in the playoffs. If you had the chance to be at that game three, it was electric. It felt, you know, the energy, the series was one, one at getting the goosebumps thinking about it. Literally. <laughs> and I think that was the vision that Cliff had was he knew that with the group that they had with the support that this organization gives it and the city gives this team when things are going well, uh, that it could instantly be a special place again. And we got to see that. And so it was, it was just that vision that Cliff had. He knew how to work within the organization. He knew that the, how to hold players accountable, um, you know, get the best out of his players. He's very direct. And I think that's a, a valuable thing about him is he can be direct, but at the same time, you know, very relatable. Um, so, you know, he'll just tell you like it is how he sees it. And then, you know, it, you know, expect you to be pro professional about it. So I think he saw what, uh, what this team could be. And, and that's why that resulted in them having success right off the bat. Yeah. We, we recorded the night following the news, uh, you know, that the magic and Clifford were parting ways. And I think we did mention that, that one of the things that we were kind of almost sad about was given Clifford's history with the team, he had that experience that he could tell the players, like, if you guys put a good product on the floor, this city is going to wrap its arms around you. It's going to support and, and cheer and everything like that, where, you know, the last, you know, seven, eight years prior to Cliff coming back, that wasn't always the case mm -hmm. with the, with the, you know, the crowds at the Amway center. So definitely going to miss Cliff in that regard. But as the magic are now looking for a head coach, what do you think is the most important thing to, to think about when looking for a head coach specifically for a roster that is as young as what we currently have? No, I, I think you touched on it. Um, one, you don't want to lose somebody who's going to hold players accountable. That's got to be um, something that, you know, carries through because, I, I, you know, as Cliff touched on, one thing you don't want young players doing is developing bad habits and having expectations that they're just going to show up, be able to play. You know, they, they have to follow certain, you know, protocols and, and perform in practice and, and earn everything. And so I think, you know, that's, that's an important aspect, especially when you have a young team. I think at the same time, you also need somebody who's going to relate to these young players. Uh, you have a very, you know, a young group with, you know, the most tenured player currently on the roster being, you know, Terrence Ross, who's, you know, now having to adjust to a completely different role than he was expecting to, to be in as well. So uh, finding somebody to, who can relate to these young players is, uh, is very important. And, uh, but at the same time, you also have to make sure that accountability is there. But at the end of the day, I would say, you know, having been through, you know, a number of different, you know, front office regimes and head coaches over my course of the time in the NBA, uh, you just need everybody to be on the same page. If you can get your front office on the same page as your head coach, on the same page as the business side of the organization, and everybody has the same vision of how we're going to go about from getting a to A to B to then, you know, eventually Z, which would be a championship, uh, things tend to go smoothly. And there are a number of different ways to do that successfully, but you need your every part of your organization to be on the same page. So I think it's finding a person who's in alignment with that. And then at the same time can relate to young players, develop young players, 
while at the same time holding them accountable. So real easy job. <laughs> I think, you know, kind of what you just touched on was really the main reason behind Clifford leaving is that everyone wasn't really on the same page. You know, they weren't really pulling in the same direction, so to speak. So um, just looking at some of the, the, the job openings around the league right now, when you look at Boston, you look at Indiana, you look at Portland, what do you think is it that makes the Orlando situation like such a, a attractive job to a candidate? Well, yeah, because normally you'd look at a rebuilding situation and be like, oh, it's going to be really tough those, you know, first couple of years. But the interesting part about Orlando that's especially different from the last time that uh, Orlando went to rebuild is that the cabinet's not bare this time around. You know, you looked at after the Dwight Howard trade, there were still a lot of veterans on this roster that weren't quite in the timeline. Uh, you had to really go about a few drafts to add young talent. When you look at this, it's, you know, there's already going to be a former number one overall pick coming back to this team who, you know, played all of eight or nine games last season to Markel Fultz. Jonathan Isaac is on the upward trajectory of his career with a very promising future, and he didn't play last season. Uh, and then you add guys like Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Wendell Carter, that are very young lottery level picks, you know, high, high level draft picks in, in some level, in some cases. Uh, R.J. Hampton, who may not have been a lottery pick, but performs, certainly performed like one, winning Rookie of the Month to close out the season. So when you look at, uh, you know, that's not even mentioning like guys like Chumo Kiki, I keep going, you know, on and on. So the interesting part about the rebuild that the Magic are on is that they have a, a big jump start over where they were the last time around. And if you look at the way the lottery could fall, they could have two potential, you know, top 10 picks in a very loaded uh, draft class. So that's just adding more into the mix. And now, you know, based off the trades that they made, they'll have a ton of salary cap flexibility in the upcoming years to approach free agency. So it, it, it is a very exciting time. I know that phrase gets used a lot, you know, when people are talking about the magic, but uh, you know, it, it really is because uh, the slate is clean. There's a lot of young talent that's here that will be added as well as could be, you know, uh, added through free agency. They have all avenues available to them to really build this thing from the ground up. So they're not tied into anything uh, like some other teams may be with perhaps contracts that they don't want, et cetera. Uh, this team has a, you know, pretty clear path moving forward. One of the interesting things that I've learned about you recently, Dan, is that you take a lot of your free time. Um, you work at a wolf sanctuary. <laughs> so can you just tell us a little bit about how you got into that and, and kind of, you know, what do you do with wolves really? So uh, the, the way it started is actually one day I was about to take my own dogs on a walk and uh, coming down the street towards me, I live on a cul-de-sac in a very wooded area uh, out towards the Wakiva state park. Um, and I see this wolf looking creature uh, headed towards me and I'm like, Oh, oh my goodness. Like, I'm not a Florida native. I'm a New Jersey guy. I'm like, are there, are there wolves in Florida? I, I, don't, I don't really know. So I took my dogs inside and then, you know, approached the animal carefully and, you know, realized it, it had a collar, but no, uh, no tags or anything like that. So long story short, I had to, I had to end up having to walk this thing like three miles to a vet uh, to see if it was microchipped. And when I did, they said that it wasn't microchipped, but 
uh, it was mixed with some wolves. So you have to be real careful about turning it over to certain shelters because they may put it down if it's mixed. But that here are some of the local wolf sanctuaries that maybe it came from. So uh, in the process, I got in touch with this wolf sanctuary. It didn't belong to them, but they did find the owner um, who was a registered wolf dog owner in, in the area. And so I was able to return it home. And in the process, they were like, we were looking for volunteers. Would you be interested? And I was like, you know, I was looking to, for a way to connect in the Orlando community. I had coached youth basketball, but, uh, you know, was looking for a different challenge. So I started volunteering at the sanctuary, uh, taking care of dogs, wolf dogs and wolves. And uh, I've been doing that for six years now. So uh, uh, quite I've, a bit. I've got a lot. All of I heard was Dan walked three miles with a wolf. <laughs> yeah, that's all I heard. Yeah, no, I, I've got a lot of questions, and some of them may, I might come across as dumb, which is not the first time that's happened on the yeah, show. Um, <laughs> you said that the vet said it's mixed with wolf, and then you said at the wolf sanctuary that you take care of wolf's dogs and wolf dogs, basically yeah. is what, I think what you said. I didn't know that was a thing unless yeah. I'm just like, am I missing something? Like there's actually dog wolf mixes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> there actually are hybrids uh, kind of as they're called. So unfortunately, uh, you know, there are exotic animal breeders that go about, you know, because it would look cool, you know, people are into various things that, Hey, it would be cool to have a dog that's mixed with a wolf. And, you know, it makes a really cute puppy and then it grows up to have tendencies of a wolf and that's not necessarily uh, conducive to a home environment. And then people drop these off at shelters or, you know, whatever. And so uh, it becomes there need to be a place that, that takes care of them. So uh, this is how this, you know, sanctuary kind of came to place is to be a home for these animals that were surrendered or, you know, suffered injuries or, you know, all these types of things. And, uh, you know, so the way the sanctuary is kind of set up is kind of like, think of it as a big U. And then at one of the U, it's like mostly dog that's mix, mixed with 5% wolf. And then as you come the, around the other way, um, it ends up all the way to like 100% uh, wolf animals, uh, you know, at, the, at this place. So uh, go through there and, and interact with them, you know, help take care of their, their pens, make sure they're clean, have fresh water, all that type of stuff. Uh, and interact and, and make some friends along the way. I don't mean this as a joke, and it it might come across the way, and I don't mean this to be like disrespectful either. Yeah. What is the like the the smallest dog that that like wolf dog mix possible? And does it is it a wolf? Like, does it look like a wolf, or can you tell? Oh, the dog that breeded with that, like that exotic owner, had yeah. a like a smaller dog. I, well, they always tend to be pretty large in size. Um, mm -hmm. like I would say, you know, the, the most of them are bred with like huskies when they do this or like a Mal, uh, Alaskan Malamute or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So they bear uh, those types of uh, traits. So even amongst, I would say like some new volunteers there, it, it does take uh, some time to learn what the differences are between a dog that kind of looks like a wolf to a complete wolf. But after you're there long enough, you kind of pick up on those on those traits. So even the ones that are like five, 10% could probably fool some people into thinking that they're wolves. Mm. 
Well, first of all, Dan, I just want to say, I think it's awesome that you take free time to, to go and volunteer your time. And that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, you walk three miles with a wolf. That is yeah. much more than a lot of people can say, but that's incredible. I love that you do that. Um, just I will say it's, it's like one of those things where like, you know, it does help you like you learn as much from them as you know, you, or, you know, vice versa, uh, where like, you know, you're in there, they pick up on energy. It's really bizarre. And you have to build up a trust level and you have to build up a confidence level. So it's like, you know, once you could stand in a, a pen with a wolf, who's maybe not all that happy that you're there and you kind of build up that confidence and, and then they, you know, eventually turn into a wolf that actually like really likes you and you've built a bond with uh, it, you know, you, you learn a lot about just keeping calm in difficult situations and maintaining a certain level of energy. So there, there is like valuable experience that you could take from that and then apply into other areas of your life. Yeah. I've already, you've already got me searching. I live in Omaha, Nebraska. So I'm, I'm already searching wolf sanctuaries in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Cause I think that's gotta be one of the coolest volunteering jobs I've ever heard of. <laughs> No, definitely. And occasionally, like people with the Minnesota Timberwolves are like, yo, <laughs> can you send us some wolf pictures? Or something? That's awesome. Yeah, it's That's fun. awesome. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about, Dan, and this is arguably what I was looking most forward to uh, getting on this, this call with you. So a couple of months back, um, I found out that you are a Boy Meets World fan, which happens to be yes. my favorite television show of all time. I tweeted out that I had just finished watching the entire series again. And I was like, what, what am I going to do now? And you and I really share the same opinion that the last two seasons just drop off significantly. So yeah. I wanted to take this time and just tell me like, obviously boy meets world came out a little bit before my time, but was syndicated on like Disney channel and stuff like that when we were kids. So just for those people out there that don't know about boy meets world, let's, let's give them a little bit of boy meets world talk. And you guys could, you guys could give it, give me the talk. Cause I, I don't no know. Idea I don't know that I've watched more than two episodes of that. So you feel free. And you're not related to Ben Savage. Are you? No, no I am actually. You are. No, are I'm... you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> man. Well, but I, I did. That have, was not I right. Have, Dan. That was head. not okay. <laughs> my college, like RA convinced for like uh, my entire actually tenure at William Patterson <laughs> university that I was. And, and, Actually, to this day, she probably still believes. <laughs> but, you know, between yeah, the, the incredible, you know, as a kid growing up in that era, it was either are you related to Macho Man Randy Savage, which Frank Vogel asked me uh, multiple occasions. <laughs> he was obsessed with that. He used to always call me Macho Man. Uh, or are you related to Fred Savage from the Wonder Years or Ben Savage, obviously, they're brothers. Um, so those came up throughout my childhood. So at some point, I just started to run with <laughs> run with it uh but yeah no definitely a, a great show uh very nostalgic does fade off towards the end and one of the interesting parts about that is like if you watch eric's character development like at the beginning of that show completely normal well-adjusted big brother figure and by the end is completely lost all semblance of reality and how he goes from there to that that's what I, that's what i really want to know but at the same semblance, even though he's like a crazy different, different guy, uh, uh, by the end of it, he's carrying the show over this final, yes. final season and a half. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm totally in agreement with you there. 
But I, I'm going to flip the script on you here because I have to know. I'm always interested okay. in, in what people think. What is your favorite Boy Meets World episode uh, of all time? All right. So not only do I know the premise, I know the name of the episode. It's A Long Walk to Pittsburgh. Ooh, this, good one. this is when this is when Topanga, her yes. parents force her to move, you know, to Pittsburgh. Corey's in the kitchen. It's storming outside. Luke has no idea what's <laughs> happening right now, by the way. You got off the rails. I, love I just know. Hey, I just know Topanga. OK, yeah, exactly. Every, <laughs> hey, who doesn't know Topanga? Am I right? But it's storming. Corey's arguing with his parents on you know whether or not he should continue to pursue this relationship. He goes to walk outside and there is Topanga Lawrence in all of her glory, just in denim, just drenched. And that episode taught me everything that I need to know about relationships. Like watching Boy Meets World, I was like, that is what I need to find right there. So it's like just there's so many good lines in that episode where uh, Eric opens the door and um, I forget. She's the what's so funny about that episode is it's the original actress from the old Romeo and Juliet movie, like way back in the day. He opens up the door and, you know, who are you? He's like, Oh, I'm Topanga's aunt. He goes. How does that happen? Because my aunt looks like an elephant. <laughs> and, and Alan, the father, goes, hey, that's my sister. He goes, hey, well, she does. Like, So that is just my all-time favorite episode. What about you? You know, I'm going to get really messy here and go with the, the trip to, to Colorado. And, oh, Lauren. And the Lauren saga. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that whole little arc uh, is an interesting thing because it shows how they survive through a difficult situation because right. up to that point, it's almost like, you know, a perfect uh, textbook cu couple, like a little bit uh, too, you know, Hollywood perfect. And in that they deal with some like real issues and the script eventually gets flipped on Corey where Topanga has a similar thing with a, with a, a former, uh, kid she played in little league with oh and the spoilers are just outrageous tonight that doesn't spoil anything but spoil the, way that they're, the way that they're able to to navigate through that uh shows that they're you know a couple with lasting power so i think uh that segment it's a little messy uh you know at some points and creates some good drama but at the same time has a good arc that you know you need to be able to to na navigate some real life situations and they're able to do that through that story arc I would say that the two arcs that you and I just went through are like the peaks of Boy Meets World. Like, I don't think it gets anything any, any better than that. But no. what you touch on, the show does such a good job of taking like messy real life issues, putting them like right in your face and showing how you can come out the other side of that. And we just don't have TV shows like that, at least not for kids uh, that really touch on a lot of that stuff. So, so many, I learned so many life <laughs> lessons from watching that show. Um, it's obviously very nostalgic. As you can, people listening are probably like, what the heck is going on? But I very near and dear to my heart. Talk on like the magic, NBA yeah. basketball and Boy Meets World, which are pretty much, and Wolves, which are pretty and much wolves. Every, everything I'm talking <laughs> about on a daily basis, all in one show. Well, so, that's awesome. I, I have, I have. Uh, New Jersey. Like, I mean, this is New Jersey. You have everything. It's just the, wow. yes. Um, I, what I did want to ask, you talked about, you know, the, the relationship uh, advice and things that you learned from Boy Meets World. However, what a lot of people don't know, Dan, is that you have actually written a dating advice or love advice column before. Um, give me a quick background on that. And then the follow-up question is, um, what was your uh, favorite and what you thought to be like the more, most thoughtful answer that you gave in that column? 
so it was a so there there is another uh, Dan Savage who I'm not related to. Um, I am the third Dan Savage in my family line, but not related to this particular one, who's a nationally syndicated uh, love advice columnist. He, he's had a show on MTV. Uh, and we often get our tweets kind of crossed. Some people will ask him questions about the magic in basketball and other people will send me tweets uh, asking for love advice. So when he was going on vacation one time, he thought it would be funny if I, you know, answered some of those questions and, and filled in for him. So it was a, it was a lot of fun. Um, I just remember throwing around, around way too many uh, basketball terminologies for, for love advice. That's, that was my uh, sticking point. I'm just like, this is, I, I'm going way over the top with some of these, <laughs> uh, comparing things to two, three zones and, oh, <laughs> and dropping all kinds of basketball uh, terminology. And, and I was like, man, I, I was talking, tying in free agency. Into, into some of so, uh, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, uh, I, I gained a new appreciation for having to carefully navigate through some very tough questions and, and what he must do on, on a daily basis. But it was, it was fun because I get so many of those questions, especially before Twitter had like verification and stuff like that. It used to happen a lot more frequently. Um, but now, you know, the, the, the number of questions I get is a lot less. But Back then, it, it happened a lot more, so it was fun to actually get the chance to, to answer some of them and, and then uh, be nationally syndicated for it in, in the process. Uh, <laughs> picked up some different papers that normally my name isn't found in. That's incredible. Well, Dan Savage, we've talked Orlando Magic Basketball, New Jersey, White Mana, Boy Meets World, Wolves, everything in between. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for We've, for we've also this. got to see the sunset on Dan's home also. Yeah. yeah. The, the yeah, sun Dan's just has been... Kinda, Going down. The, dark the light right switch for this particular room happens to be all the way on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> it was like one of those things. I'm like, can I just pause and get up or what? Yeah. Luckily, the brightness of the computer screen uh, is yeah. it's keeping us alive here. You there. Yeah, I was trying to signal to my wife, but she totally picked <laughs> up on it. She's like, I have nothing you're talking about. Well, regardless, Dan, we really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, very specific person will like this podcast. <laughs> yes, this some of these podcasts like and that's me. <laughs> I, exactly. I don't know if anyone out there out there listens to um, Bill Simmons puts on a podcast called The Rewatchables, where he talks about movies that you can just watch over and over and over again. He always jokes that we do fifteen for the listeners and then we do one for us. This yeah. was the one for me. I, I like, got to get Dan on. Got to talk Boy Meets World, but. The highlight of my day by far. You're welcome back on the show anytime. Best of luck next season. Hopefully it goes much smoother than the last couple of seasons. But uh, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and social media? Yeah, so sure. So uh, I mainly tweet it from, from a public perspective, and that's at Dan underscore Savage. Uh, all the stuff uh, that I oversee ends up on orlandomagic.com. So I always encourage uh, people to go there because we, we have you know a ton of stuff unfiltered so every press conference every media availability is out there so you could see everything that you know we as the reporters see all access shows on there. content for myself uh josh cohen who's just doing an incredible job 
with this draft series. I swear to you, if you take one thing from me, nobody watches more basketball than Josh Cohen. I watch a lot of basketball. I have three TVs in the room I'm in that get put onto League Pass every night. And thankfully, my wife allows me to do that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, that guy somehow outdoes me. And so he is doing a tremendous job. He's watched every, just about every game that these college players have played and kind of breaking down strengths and weaknesses. So you can find out a lot of stuff from him there. And I'll be going through and doing my own draft series in, in short order, uh, which will have a number of insights from people around these players. So stay tuned to all that stuff. Hopefully it's insightful and, and gives you some idea of what potential players will be available from the magic to choose from come uh, draft night. And then good luck on draft lottery night. Uh, everybody get their lucky stuff out. Um, you know, I'll be holding a photo of Pat Williams or something like that <laughs> and, and trying to summon, uh, making a little seance circle and trying to summon <laughs> some of that like <laughs> uh, come draft night. Awesome. Draft well, thank night. you, Dan. Again, welcome back anytime. <laughs> Appreciate it guys. All right, guys. Well, thank you guys for listening for Dan, for Luke. This has been Jonathan. You guys are listening to the six man show and we will catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to The Six Man Show. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher to get new episodes downloaded directly to your phone. Please take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. It would really help us out a lot. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Six Man Show, and like us on Facebook. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Magic!